0: Good evening, Richmond Hill. Good evening. He'll join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your spirit that is in this place. I pray for a fresh anointing that my words might give you honor, might give us direction and clarity. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. In the Church of San Pedro in Rome, you'll find a tomb of Pope Julius II. Not being a man of simplicity nor humility, this pope commissioned the artist Michelangelo to sculpt an extravagant tomb for him where he would be placed after he died. That way he would forever be remembered in the annals of history. There are two ironies that come about from this project. One... Most people have heard of Michelangelo and have no idea who who Pope Julius II is. And two, on the tomb itself, Pope Julius is not the main character. Rather, it is Moses, who is the central figure. You may have seen this unique statue of Moses. It stands out because it depicts Moses with having two small horns on his head, which is ironic because in the Christian faith, if you have two horns on your head, that's usually not a good thing. So why would Michelangelo put two horns on Moses' head? The reason Moses is depicted in this manner is actually based on the scripture that was read to us earlier by Lindsay. When we read that Moses' face shines after seeing God, that word shine comes from the Hebrew word kha'em, which means to shine, but it also means to have horns on your head. So when St. Jerome was changing or translating the Bible from Hebrew to Latin, guess which word he came up with. (laughs) So from about 410 AD all the way up into the Renaissance and afterwards, people have understood this particular passage as Moses having horns on his head. Think about that. That's 1,000 years of misinterpretation of Scripture. And it's literally why if you ever go to the uh, tomb of Pope uh, Julius, <laughs> exactly, the person I don't even remember. I remember Michelangelo made it, though. <laughs> You'll see the horn statue of Moses. And it's easy to laugh at these historical inaccuracies and to see how simple misunderstandings c- can become assumed truths. Yet even in today's world, we live with hundreds, perhaps thousands of things that we assume to be correct. Many of us are taught that if you greet somebody, whether it's a stranger or going out on a date or definitely for a job interview, that you look people in the eye. It shows confidence that you're sure of yourself. But how about if you're from China? If you make prolonged eye contact in certain areas in China, it's considered that you're challenging somebody or that you're upset. How about if you're from Saudi Arabia? In Saudi Arabia, it's considered rude to look at people that are the opposite gender of you. In Kenya, eye contact is okay in the city, not necessarily in the rural areas, and discouraged when talking to elders. And you don't even have to go to another country. If you take a subway ride in New York City, you will learn very quick when to look or not to look somebody in the eye. Can I get an amen? Amen. Whether it's the mistranslation of scripture that influences awkward art in Rome or cultural differences such as eye contact that, that can create awkward encounters, we should be aware of assuming that our way is correct or that our way is God's way. In the gospel reading we read, that was read earlier, the disciples Peter, John, and James witnessed the glory of God shine on Jesus, who was visited by Moses and Elijah. They tell Jesus what his destiny will be in Jerusalem, and Peter comes up with this grand idea. You know, Jesus, we could stay up here. I'll set up this place for Moses and Elijah, and we could just stay in the glory of God. For Peter, it didn't get much better than that mountaintop experience. He would have been perfectly content to stay up there. After all, they were in the glory of God. He assumed everybody would want to stay in that glory. We can be like Peter at times. We have experiences in life that we want to encapsulate and never depart from. We make assumptions about reality and what it should be, assumptions about what ultimate truth is, assumptions of who God is and where God can be found. Yet what Peter didn't realize is God's will was not on the Mount of Transfiguration, rather it was on the hill of Golgotha. There was no glory of God there awaiting them, rather it was only crosses and the stench of death. So while Moses and Elijah are sharing with Jesus plans of the crucifixion, Peter is making plans of a stationary celebration, one which is exclusive to only a few people where sacrifices and the hardships of life are minimized. The past two years of living through a pandemic reminds us that life cannot always be spent on the mountaintop. There are dips and valleys. Each day we see the sun come up and it dispels the darkness of dawn, only to surrender later that evening to the darkness of night, day in and day out. Another thing the past couple of years has shown us is just how divided we are as a country. Is God a liberal or a conservative? A progressive or libertarian. In 2020, when Donald Trump contracted COVID during his presidency, many Christians, in particular progressive and liberal Christians, believed that God had finally heard their prayers. The president who refused to wear a mask, the president who refused to socially distance, had finally reaped what he sowed and fell victim to his own rhetoric, testing positive for COVID-19. The world watched on to see what would happen. This could finally be a message to the world about all the naysayers, about COVID-19. Could you imagine what would have happened if the president would have died? How many people would have began taking mask wearing serious and social distancing and perhaps getting the vaccination that was awaiting to come in the future months? However, Donald Trump didn't die. According to his administration, he didn't even get that sick. And you know you could trust that administration. (laughs) And now it was the conservative Christians who believed God had heard our prayer. Well, whose side was God on? Why do we assume that we understand God? We're but one person on this planet of 7.7 billion people in the planet, in a universe composed of a hundred billion galaxies Yet we act as if our doctrines or dogma is the ultimate truth, as if our religion is as ancient as the stars, as if our theory of evolution is the final say about creation rather than simply being the latest understanding based on limited technology and finite knowledge. There's a reason why when Moses encounters God, the Hebrews fell silent when they saw him, there is a reason why, in the book of Luke, after the glory of God comes in the cloud, Peter and the disciples fall silent. No more chatter about who's going to be staring where, who's going to be staying where? No more bright ideas. Rather, it is the recognition that they have encountered something much larger and greater than they could ever have imagined. We must be mindful of the assumptions that we make, assumptions we make about God, and assumptions we make about other people. Reminds me of a story of a young boy who was on his way to school one day and he saw a dead dog. The boy was so excited about this dog that he ran into the classroom, his kindergarten classroom, and was telling all the kids the teacher was seeing what was going on. What's all this commotion about? Ms. Williams, Ms. Williams, I saw a dead dog. The teacher was a bit reluctant and skeptical. Well, how do you know the dog was dead? The dog was dead because I pissed it in its ear. Excuse me? What did you just say? The little boy was frightened. When Miss Williams, I bent down to the dog's ear and said, Hey, dog, can you move? (laughs) And when the dog didn't move, he realized the dog was dead. (laughs) I can explain it to anybody who doesn't. (laughs) Explain it later. (laughs) If we can't even understand each other at times, what makes us think that we cannot truly understand the totality of God? The theologian Paul Tillich says, the courage to be is rooted in the God who appears when God has disappeared in the anxiety and doubt. The courage to be is rooted in the God who appears when God has disappeared in the anxiety of doubt. To put it another way, God is beyond God To put it in Eastern terms, when pointing to the moon, don't confuse your finger for the moon. Some less theology, less philosophy, and more scripture. St. Paul says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even imagined the things which God has prepared for those who love him. One of the theological reasons that Judaism and Islam has issues with Christianity is because they take the transcendence, the otherness of God so seriously. Muslims won't even draw an image of Allah or God because they see it as idolatry. Jews take the concept of monotheism so seriously that they can't understand a God that's three in one and one in three. As for us Christians, we see God is so transcendent, so far beyond us, that it actually takes God to take us to God, which is where Jesus comes in. Whatever our beliefs we've had to get back, we have to get back to the point in society where we can engage one another in healthy dialogue and debate, not canceling one another out because of disagreements we might have, a place where our neighbor is no longer our enemy. Last fall uh, on the website, Reddit, there was something called the Herman Cain Award. Has anybody heard of this award? Herman Cain, if you remember, was a prominent businessman who ran for the Republican nomination in 2012. During the beginning of COVID, he actually died, um, which was ironic because he was one of the main people that was anti-mask. So the Herman Cain Award is when people find other people on Facebook and Twitter who are publicly anti-mask and anti-vaccination that end up dying from COVID-19 and they put their pictures of them ranting against COVID and then pictures of their death in a, in a manner that's mocking them. People leave comments such as, one less stupid person to take up space on this planet. Where are we as a nation if we have this much hatred and lack of empathy for one another? Where are we as a church if we do not not help bring about some sort of balance to the division? That balance comes from a place of humility, recognizing, you know what? I'm not God, and I don't understand everything that's happening. I don't know the ins and outs of the pandemic. Before I criticize somebody else, I can't tell people the ingredients that go into the vaccination. I don't know what's going to happen in Ukraine and in Russia, or if that's going to escalate going to happen to this nation or other nations. And honestly, I don't know where God is some of the times. And maybe that's where faith comes into play. That's good. One of the reasons Peter denied Christ is because he made assumptions about God. Jesus, let's stay on this mountaintop. Jesus, let's take down the Roman Empire. Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. And Jesus replies, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but rather the things of man. Instead of Peter, perhaps we could be like Mary Magdalene. Although she is silenced throughout the canonical Bible, her silence speaks loudly. Because when it was time for Jesus to go to the cross and all the disciples fled because of fear, And assumptions they made about being on the right hand of Jesus or on the left hand of Jesus, thoughts of power and glory that was not to be, Mary stayed with Jesus and his mother Mary all the way to the cross. And if we can maintain our faith through the cross, then by the grace of God, perhaps like Mary, we too will see the empty tomb. Amen.